Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are joining me. Uh, thank you so much for coming and uh, checking out this episode of Such Sweet Thunder Meditation Program. Uh, this is going to be a question and answer session. I've received uh, several questions uh, through Messenger uh, over the previous episodes, the last three or four episodes where I was guiding meditations. And by the way, I always welcome and encourage uh, people to send in questions, uh, which will, first of all, <laughs> give me something to talk about on my Q&A session uh, as well. Um, but um, it helps if one is taking up a, a meditation practice. It helps when things arise uh, to have a qualified teacher, a guide, somebody who can address those uh, situations or issues or uh, unfamiliar experiences uh, which tend to arise uh, during meditation practice. So happy to help that uh, resolve and then one can uh, more easily return to the meditation practice. That leads me to one of the questions that I'm going to talk about. Uh, why is a teacher necessary? Uh, but before I do get into the bulk of the Q&A session, I just want to give a shout out to Contemplative Light, uh, the website, the Facebook page. Uh, they have invited me to cross post these Facebook uh, live sessions to their pages. Uh, very happy to do so and honored to do so. Happy to be reaching a, a different and, and wider audience. So welcome to all of those people who are joining me here uh, from Contemplative Light, thank you for tuning in as well. Now, you don't have to have seen any of the previous episodes that I've done to receive benefit uh, from tuning into this, but if you do uh, want to find those episodes, they're all available on my website, uh, which is www.suchsweetthunder.org. And I'll put it on the uh, postings when I uh, share this video as well, so you can check that out. Also available on YouTube and on Instagram. Uh, so everything that I've done previously is all available there, if you're curious. Now, speaking of uh, previously recorded material, uh, Clint Sabom from Contemplative Light uh, invited me to do an interview uh, slash discussion uh, podcast with him last week. Uh, we got into some really interesting topics there. We talked about mantra practice and uh, the inquiry practice uh, and cultivating the not knowing mind, which uh, tends to lead one into uh, a place of uh, open awareness like that. Uh, it's very, very beautiful practice. We talked about some other things here and there as well. Uh, uh, very, very interesting. Always a great conversation with Clint. So uh, that is up on my Facebook page, and it's also on the Contemplative Light website and YouTube channel. Uh, so uh, at your leisure, go and check out that interview there. It was a lot of fun to make. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to jump into the questions here. So the first question I received was, well, you know, why, what are some of the benefits of mindfulness meditation practice? Why does one take up a practice of mindfulness? And I get this question all the time, actually, when 
uh, you know, being a teacher, I, I often field this type of question. Why are we meditating? Why do you meditate? Well, so here I usually counter, and I, I want to preface this with there's no pat answers to any of these questions. Uh, and so uh, when I'm meeting with somebody face-to-face, -face, the answer could vary. And again, I'll talk more about that when I talk about the benefits of having a teacher. So when I'm asked, you know, why, why does one meditate? What are some of the benefits? I always ask the student or the person who's presenting this question, well, well, what do you hope to gain from taking up a practice of meditation? And sometimes people will answer things like, well, you know, stress reduction, or I heard it can alleviate uh, tension in the body and the mind. I heard it can boost immune system uh, capabilities and, and uh, things like that, lowers our heart pressure, lowers our risk of uh, heart attack and stroke. And that's all very, very true. Those are all, that's all been proven uh, with scientific studies. Uh, now, if somebody wants to take up a practice like that, you know, if it's basically for stress reduction or help one sleep, uh, somebody can meditate for maybe 15 or 20 minutes a day and just follow the breath. And you don't really need to go further than that. But there are other benefits, uh, deeper and from my perspective, maybe more profound benefits of meditation, uh, which generally takes a commitment of meditating for about a half an hour to an hour a day. Uh, actually, even better than that would be twice a day. Now, if people are here just starting a practice, I don't recommend starting with even 15 minutes a day. Always start a practice within your comfort zone. It's very, very important. And really, you can do this uh, in, start with just two or three minutes of following the breath and noticing how your mind gets distracted. Now, each time your mind does get distracted, uh, recognize the distraction and come back to the breath and start again like that. So start with just three minutes and set a timer, make it a formal uh, meditation session. And that helps by uh, setting a timer for three minutes and then setting the intention of, okay, for these three minutes, I'm going to feel the breath as accurately and as deeply as possible. And we don't try to control the breath in any particular way. We just Notice how the breath is in a relaxed state of sitting. Now, because that is, you know, well, there's a lot less activity in that experience than in most other experiences in our day-to-day -day life. So it's very easy for the mind to get distracted. There'll be many, many thoughts. That's quite normal. And people often say to me, oh, Chris, I can't meditate because my mind is too active. Um, hogwash, I always say. <laughs> if, you're my, if you're noticing your mind is very active, that's meditation. That's a success. So what I recommend people do is each time you notice you're distracted by your thoughts, label that process with the word thinking.
Just say thinking to yourself. You don't say good or bad, positive or negative. You don't judge the thought or the thought process. Just say thinking. You let those thoughts go and you come back to the present moment. Now each time you do that, it's like you're lifting weights. You're strengthening the muscle of awareness and attention. And with that heightened, cultivated sense of awareness and attention, it gets just a little bit easier to rest with the breath without distraction. Now there'll be more another thought or another string of thoughts. Just say thinking, come back, rest. Then another thought will take you away. That's absolutely normal. Thinking, come back, rest. Then there's probably another thought right after that. Thinking, come back, rest. That's the method that we're using here, the method of mindfulness. And again, each time you do that, thinking, it's like you're lifting weights. You're strengthening that muscle of awareness and attention. Now, something that does begin to reveal itself in this process is that, is that there's actually a space in between the thoughts. That thought that comes up and distracts you from the breath and you, breath and you say thinking, you come back, there's a gap before the next thought. And with that heightened, strengthened sense of awareness and attention, it gets easier to rest in that space in between the thoughts. And the word rest there is used intentionally and it's quite important because actually the space in between the thoughts is the only opportunity that the human mind gets to rest. Because other than that, where our mind is always going constantly, thought, 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 thought. In some meditation traditions, they call it the monkey mind, swinging from vine to vine to vine to vine to vine, like that. So one of the great benefits of mindfulness meditation and this Such Sweet Thunder meditation program that I'm presenting in this series is we start to find that resting space in between the thoughts. So and you'll notice that space in between the thoughts, it's a, a silent gap there. And so the more we do this practice, the more we start to widen that gap. That's one of the benefits of cultivating that strength is that, that because the gap feels good, we rest in that gap and it starts to get a little bit wider and a little bit wider and a little bit wider. And that's how we start to bring a sense of peace to the mind, a sense of stillness. It's actually not that we're bringing stillness to the mind or peace to the mind. The stillness is actually always there, but it's just covered up by the constant stream of thought. And so each time we interrupt that stream of thought, that stillness emerges. It might just be for a glimpse like clouds, storm clouds parting the sky and the, the sunshine just shines through for a moment. But that glimpse is enough. Once you see that, once you experience that, uh, that confidence in the practice starts to emerge and we start to engage the practice in a much deeper way. So that's one of the great benefits 
of mindfulness meditation practice is finding that stillness, and that's the process. Now, very important here, and I want to mention this before I move on, um, not to get discouraged by the amount of thoughts that emerge during a meditation practice. There might be many, 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 many thoughts. In fact, I had one student say once, it was like a machine gun, thinking, 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 <laughs> like that. And it can be that way sometimes. That's normal. So if you find that you're getting uh, discouraged or frustrated by meditation practice, that's a sign that you're expecting the results rather than practicing the method to get to the results. I like to rephrase that actually. Uh, it's like you're practicing the results rather than practicing the method to get to the results. The method to get to the result of the peaceful mind, the still mind, the quiet mind, that method is recognizing all of those thoughts and coming back each time to the present moment. That's the method. The results are again the, the benefit, the still mind, the calm mind, the peaceful mind, like that. Very important to practice the method to get to the results rather than just practicing the results. Because oftentimes people come to a meditation session and they ring the bell or they have the timer go off and they think their mind is, should just be completely still. <laughs> like the bell has some magical quality that can uh, automatically still the mind. I wish. <laughs> I wish I had a bell like that. Unfortunately, it never really works that way. Uh, so not to allow that frustration to emerge. And if you do find that you're getting frustrated, that's fine. But just to recognize that that frustration is indicative of practicing the results or expecting the results rather than the method to get to the results. Kind of like me going to the gym and looking at my arms. and Why aren't my arms big? <laughs> right? Without lifting any weights. So that there I'm, I'm, I'm practicing the results of the gym rather than practicing the method at the gym, lifting the weights or doing the exercise to get the results like that. So in, in a way you can kind of, if you use that example, you kind of see how, how kind of silly it is. Uh, but often uh, meditators, particularly people who are new to meditation, uh, fall into that trap and they give up meditating after a week or two because they're expecting the mind to just be clear rather than doing the method to reach that result of the clear mind. Okay. Now I also got a question on meditating with discomfort. And uh, you know, if you've even meditated for maybe five minutes, three minutes, 10 minutes, you might have experienced a bit of discomfort. Maybe an itch arises in the face somewhere. That's very common. Or perhaps um, the foot's falling asleep or there's a sore muscle in the shoulder. It's very common to experience physical discomfort in meditation. I often get the question, well, what, what do I do with that? You know, is it okay if I scratch the itch that's coming? Or is it okay if I adjust my posture so that my foot isn't sleeping or numb? And there are actually many different teachings on this, conf different teachings conflict with each other. So, um, but for me, from, from the way I've come to understand meditation, uh, it, meditation shouldn't be 
a grin and bear it kind of practice. So I, I never recommend that one, you know, muscles through a half an hour session with their back aching or, you know, the foot's falling asleep and they, they refuse to move because they think meditation should be completely still and, and I should be able to experience this and still. That's, in a way, what we've done there is we've created this image of meditation and then we're trying to force our practice to fit that image. That's, that's a, a really unfortunate habit. Uh, meditation isn't an image and there's not one image of the perfect meditation session. So I think when we free ourselves from that, uh, meditation becomes a lot uh, less challenging. So what to do? Let's use the example of a mosquito biting the shoulder. I like that example because I live in Thailand and mosquitoes are abundant here. <laughs> so uh, in a meditation session, let's say this mosquito lands on the shoulder, you feel that. Well, first you might hear the bzzz by the ear, right? And then it lands on the shoulder. You know, feeling the breath in the present moment. And then the, the itch comes. Now, if and when this happens during meditation practice, I recommend before you move to swat the mosquito away or before you move to alleviate the sleeping foot or the aching back, ask yourself this question, can I rest with this? Can I rest with this discomfort? Now, the answer might be no. I can't rest with this. I, I, that mosquito is going to drive me crazy. And you just swat the mosquito away. Or no, this sleeping foot is too irritating. Let me move to adjust that. Fine. The point here is that now we've brought mindfulness to the decision of pushing away discomfort and moving towards comfort. This is one of the great benefits of mindfulness practice is we start to make the unconscious decision or the unconscious habitual reaction of pushing away discomfort and grasping at comfort. We start to move that out of the unconscious and make it conscious. We bring it into awareness. So anytime there's discomfort arising during meditation, can I rest with this? Now the answer might be yes, actually. Yeah, that's not so bad. It's a little irritating, mosquitoes. You know, having lunch on my shoulder probably give me a little bit of a, you know, welt, but it's really okay. I can deal with that. Come back to the breath, come back to the body, and you're back to meditation. So sometimes the answer is yes. Actually, yeah, the sleeping foot, not so bad, or the ache in the shoulder, it's not so bad. I can rest with that. Great. Again, now we've brought mindfulness to the decision. You're not repressing anything. You're not saying... No, I, you know, I've uh, been meditating now for, you know, three weeks and I should be able to sit still with a mosquito biting my Then we've gotten into right and wrong thinking. There's very little learning happening at that point. So again, can I rest with this? That allows uh, that motion, pushing away discomfort and grasping at comfort, it allows us to learn what that feels like. This is very important. Carl Jung once made the very astute observation 
that if things are left in our unconscious, it controls us. We only have to look around at our, our cultural norms, the illnesses that have arisen in our 21st century culture. We can just look and observe and see what kind of suffering the unconscious habit of pushing away discomfort and grasping at comfort causes, right? All forms of addiction come from that place. So many other um, unconscious reactivity comes from that place. So one of the beautiful lessons that's very accessible to the, to the even the very first day of meditation um, because discomfort generally does arise if you try to sit still for just a few minutes. Can I rest with this? Okay. So thank you for that question. I really uh, enjoy talking about that, and I think it is one of the great, great benefits of mindfulness practice. Okay. I also got a question on the uh, four foundations of mindfulness. Now this question comes from the Buddhist tradition, I, I'm assuming. Uh, the, the, the Buddhist tradition, or the Buddha uh, gave a teaching uh, titled The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and this is called the Anapanasati Sutta in, the, in Sanskrit. Uh, and in, it, the reason why I received this question, I, I can only assume, is that the, because the meditation practice, such sweet thunder, this practice that I teach and that I designed uh, based off of two different uh, Tibetan traditions, um, walks one, one through uh, the four foundations of mindfulness in, in kind of a different way that, than the Indian traditions. Um, but I'll just go through the very basic uh, Anapanasati Sutta now. So we bring mindfulness to the breath first and to the body, and that's the first foundation of, of mindfulness, the breath and the body, awareness of the breath, awareness of the body. Uh, now, if you find the breath and the body challenging to rest in, and that resting is quite important, uh, then you can start with a different foundation. You can start with the external. You can start with the sounds of the present moment or even the visual field. And I like to offer that when I teach because uh, people who have suffered trauma in their life or people who are holding uh, heavy emotional material often find uh, resting with the breath rather challenging. We hold a lot of emotions or, or humans tend to hold a lot of emotion in the chest area and near the lungs. So resting with the breath can be really challenging for those people. Uh, and I myself had post-traumatic stress disorder after uh, September 11th in New York. And at that time, I had already been meditating about 15 years, and still I could feel uh, challenging. Uh, by, uh, uh, yeah, it was very challenging to rest in the breath uh, for quite some time there. So if you're holding emotion, you know that about yourself, or you, you know you've had some trauma recently, uh, uh, it might be easier to start with the sounds, no problem. But I'm just going to return back to the Anapanasati Sutta uh, and talk about it from a traditional uh, perspective here for a moment. So we start in meditation feeling the breath and feeling the body. Now there will be many thoughts, as I just said, thinking, returning back. Now what you might start to notice 
is that your thoughts are pertaining uh, to the discomforts of sitting still. You know, there'll be thoughts about how many thoughts you're having pertaining to sitting still. There'll be thoughts about uh, the ache in the back or the itch or the irritating or, or why am I doing meditation? These types of thoughts. Now thinking, coming back, thinking, coming back, eventually the thoughts tend to become still and one can rest in that because one is cultivating, again, that heightened sense of awareness and attention. So one begins to rest in that experience. The discomfort becomes neutral and then sometimes comfortable as well, like that. So we begin to be able to rest attention on the breath or in the breathing experience and just becoming aware of what's arising, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. In Buddhist tradition, that, those are called feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So one might work there for a few weeks, a few months, a few years, doesn't matter how long, but eventually what starts to reveal itself is a deeper experience of meditation. We're no longer so concerned with the comforts or discomforts of the body and mind. And so now we're going a little bit deeper. Uh, and so this awareness uh, leads one uh, to cultivate sufficient attention in experience to hold pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral without being distracted by them. And you can just rest in that. So that, that becomes a higher level of attention. That's the second foundation of mindfulness. So in, in including the physical experiences, also the sounds of the present moment. We're not so concerned with pleasant sound, unpleasant sound, or neutral. We recognize sound of the rain, sound of the crickets, that's pleasant. Sound of the jackhammer, sound of the argument happening next door, the loud television, that's unpleasant. But we're not so distracted by that anymore. We can hold pleasant and unpleasant in awareness, in attention. Now, when we're holding that, uh, then we start to recognize how our emotions arise from those interpretations. So the itch in the shoulder, for example, that's not inherently pleasant or unpleasant. It's just a sensation. But pleasant or unpleasant or neutral arises as our interpretation. So we start to be able to separate that. We see the interpretation and the experience is different. The sound of the jackhammer next door, it's not inherently unpleasant, uh, but we tend to habitually interpret those types of sounds as unpleasant. And so that starts to separate the, our interpretation from the actual experience like that. When that happens, we start to see and recognize how our emotional reactivity comes from that interpretation. So we start to see this chain reaction. Let's use the example of the jackhammer next door. Somebody's you know, doing construction work next door. In slow motion, our mind says, oh, that's really horrible. I wish I could meditate. I should move to a quiet area. This is, you know, maybe go to take a week vacation on the beach so I, just so I can meditate. That's the, the interpretation, the unpleasant. And that's laced with that emotional reactivity. 
I need to run away, I need to push this away, I need to get away. So we start to separate that as a chain reaction. That's the third uh, foundation of mindfulness, is we recognize our emotional reactivity to our interpretation of what's arising in the present moment. We no longer experience the present moment and experience the reaction as one experience. The fourth is uh, when we have cultivated sufficient attention, you know, lifted those weights, strengthened the muscle of awareness and attention so that we can rest in that experience without following the thoughts about, I want this, I don't want that. And we recognize that those emotions that go with that, that, that anger about the person next door, you know, the loud conversation, we recognize that, okay, that's anger. It's just another passing experience. Just because I feel anger arising in my body, my heart, and my mind, doesn't mean I have to yell, kick, punch, scream, shout. It also frees me from the habit of repression. I can just allow the anger to arise, to feel it, and to let it go. With, not just with anger, but with craving, fear, longing, desire, any emotional state because our emotions arise, again, not from what's happening in the present moment, but from our interpretation of what's happening in the present moment. And that is the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Now, it's often not the case that one goes through the first foundation, second foundation, third foundation, fourth foundation, and then you're finished. Uh, it's, it's more like we start to have insights into this entire process all at the same time, like that. So that was some heavy lifting there. Uh, so I hope you all were able to follow that. And this is one of the reasons why a teacher, or having a teacher for these uh, subjects, uh, such as meditation or contemplative practice, is a good idea. And this leads me to the final question that I received, or at least the final question that I'll talk about today in this episode. Uh, do I need a teacher for meditation and why? Well, Again, if you're really just coming to meditation for stress reduction, uh, perhaps you don't really need a teacher. Maybe an app like Headspace or YouTube videos uh, might be enough for you. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you just want to scratch the surface of a meditation practice, fine. You know, uh, good apps can help you with that, guided meditations podcasts, and so forth. But if you really want to experience those four foundations of mindfulness, if you really want to change your relationship to life itself and find freedom within the experience of life, I strongly recommend a teacher. Uh, there's just so many subtle obstacles that can and often do arise on the path of meditation, on the contemplative path. Uh, that if you, you strike out alone, and, and you can, you can do that. And there's plenty of books and, and again, podcasts, videos, so forth, uh, that can assist with that. But it really, I often uh, draw the analogy uh, uh, as being like a foreign language. 
where you, where you can you know get Rosetta Stone or, or get videos or apps, and you can learn a foreign language on your own. But having a really good qualified teacher uh, makes it a lot easier. Now a teacher is somebody who can point out to a student uh, the imbalances that often do arise in each stage of any type of practice that they're teaching. Uh, using the such sweet thunder method as, a, as, as an example, uh, when one starts to meditate with the breath and the body, um, obstacles arise. And if you're new to the practice, you might not recognize it. You might think, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, getting somewhere. This is really doing a lot of good and a lot of benefit. But you might be stuck in a quagmire there and, not, and unable to recognize it. Now, a good teacher can uh, encourage you to move through that stuck area. Say, oh, that's not enlightenment yet. Just keep going. <laughs> and do so in a way that kind of inspires the student to practice and not to give up. That's quite important. Now, a good qualified teacher is probably somebody who's been meditating for, for many, many years and has done quite a bit of study. Uh, probably has done quite a bit of retreat time themselves. Uh, and I, I mention this because there are many people who are taking up mindfulness teaching, they're yoga teachers, they may have done a, a weekend workshop on mindfulness and now suddenly they're teaching meditation. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I hesitate to recommend people like that because I, I'm not sure that they can accurately spot the subtle uh, and intricate obstacles that can arise in the path. Uh, I've been meditating for 35 years now. That's a lot of meditation time. Uh, and and I, as a result of that, I've seen uh, in my own experience I've fallen into those pits. I've taken the detours. And I've had really great teachers who, who have said, oh, you know what? That's not what you think it is. Or maybe you should try to do a little more of X, Y, Z rather than A, B, C. And because those teachers had done, you know, years and years and years of practice and many, many hours on retreat and in meditation and study, they knew. They, they could see, oh, he's going down that path, and we want to go this way. And gently encouraging, uh, in this example myself, the student, uh, to, to go, oh, a little to the left. <laughs> that's the way you want to go. Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's really important. So I, I'm not here to really promote my, my uh, uh, teaching uh, or build my student roster, but I do teach. I do teach online and I have been doing so since uh, 2009 uh, with uh, a great amount of success. Uh, so if there are, is any, if anybody here is, you know, wanting to connect with a, an experienced meditation teacher, I am currently accepting students. Uh, for more information about that uh, and for what I do offer to my students one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you can check out my website at www.suchsweetthunder.org.
So I think that's all I'm going to say today. Um, I will be back on, well, it's Monday morning in Thailand, uh, but it'll be uh, Sunday evening in America. So wherever you, you are tuning in, uh, adjust accordingly. <clears throat> I'll be back on Sunday slash Monday uh, guiding another meditation practice. This will be the next stage of Such Sweet Thunder meditation practice where we'll bring mindfulness of all of our sensory experience, uh, breath, body, sights, and sounds, and then we'll also include our emotional material. Uh, and here we don't go digging for any kind of repressed emotion or anything, it's not necessary. In this stage of the practice, we just ask ourselves what we're feeling in the present moment, like that. So oftentimes when I mention, yes, we're gonna work with emotions, people get a little bit like, woo, uh, you know, and, um, but it's, it's actually quite a gentle practice. Uh, and oftentimes people are experiencing really lovely emotions during meditation. Uh, so it can be this lightness uh, and this humor that might arise. Anyway, I'll talk more about that on Sunday slash Monday. So wherever you are tuning in, uh, please do stay safe. If you're in a country that's unfortunately struggling with this pandemic as uh, America is uh, so uh, afflicted right now with illness, please do take your precautions. Uh, wear your mask. Sanitize your hands. Practice your social distancing. This isn't a political statement. This is a statement I'm delivering out of compassion and loving kindness for all human beings. Uh, I don't wear a mask for myself. I wear a mask for others. And I hope uh, you will all do the same. The studies do show that mask wearing does lower a case uh, infliction lowers uh, the coronavirus uh, uh, potential for spread. Much love, much light, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you all after the weekend. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you then.